Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here to take your calls and texts on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. Maybe something uh, has come up in your Bible reading that you're curious about or is unclear to you. Uh, we would love to help you work through that and maybe help uh, answer some of those questions for you. Or if you have a prayer request or something going on in your life that you'd love counsel on or, or like to know what the Bible says about it, or if you just want prayer, we'd love to hear from you and speak with you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can also text us. We have a text line that is 720-336-0897. 720-336-0897. We want to welcome all of those of you who uh, are part of the Calvary Live family. We're syndicated in three areas. So we're broadcasting one area, but we're syndicated in two other areas. So we're broadcasting live here in Colorado, and our, our station goes up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way down to Pueblo, Colorado. And so if you're tuning in today on Grace FM, you're hearing the show live, and uh, we're so glad that you tuned in. We're also syndicated on the East Coast, so on, in Hope FM, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. We get so many callers from the East Coast, so glad that you guys are part of this uh, Calvary Live family. So uh, welcome to the program. We also want to say welcome to those of you who are listening in Tennessee on Truth FM and all the way into parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So glad that you are tuning in today as well. Just a reminder that those listening on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you're hearing the show on a one-week delay. But we would love for you to call in, and then you'll be able to get to tune in the following week and hear yourself on the radio. Um, we also want to say hi to everybody who tunes in online. You know, there's so many of you who tune in via the app and the website. So if you don't have that app, just go to your mobile app store uh, on your mobile device and type in Grace FM. It should come right up, and you can download that app, and then you can listen wherever you are, whether you're in our broadcast range or outside of it, even really anywhere in the world. So uh, get that app on your phone or on your tablet, and then you can tune in wherever you're at over the Internet. And also, uh, if you sit at a computer or you have one in whatever area you're in, just go to gracefm.com and you can listen live on the browser as well. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. We'd love to speak with you about your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life. If you have a prayer request, that's what we're here for. We'd love to hear from you. 303 690 3,000. Uh, just a few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a church in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, usually I'm your host every Monday here on Calvary Live, but today I'm filling in for Pastor Eric Cartier of Rocky Mountain Calvary down in Colorado Springs. And he is away today, so I am filling in. Again, I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And our church, uh, we love Jesus and we love to study the Bible. And so we meet every Sunday morning at the St. Vrain Memorial Building in downtown Longmont, which is 
at the northwest corner of Long's Peak and Kaufman Streets in downtown Longmont, which is just one block west of Main Street on Long's Peak Avenue, right there on the corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. So the address is 700 Long's Peak Avenue, just one block west of Main Street on Long's Peak. The St. Vrain Memorial Building, we meet there 10 a.m. Sunday morning, and we would love to have you join us for worship and the word. And um, this coming Sunday is really a great opportunity for, for those of you who have been uh, thinking about visiting or maybe you're just hearing about the church for the first time and you'd love to check it out. Or if you aren't in Longmont or in the surrounding communities, but you have someone you know, like a friend or family member who is, and maybe you'd want to help them get connected, this is a great Sunday. Actually, the next two Sundays are really good opportunities for that for us at Whitefields. This coming Sunday, we're doing our outdoor service, which is which is kind of a celebration. It's an outreach, and uh, it's just a fun thing that we do every year. Uh, once a year in August, we do it, and um, our, our church has a small park, which is part of the bigger park, Roosevelt Park, but there's a small part of the park that's directly in front of our building. And so what we do is we go and we set up there you know, a couple hundred chairs, and we love to fill that park with just as many worshipers and people who come to hear the word as possible. And uh, we have people in the surrounding apartments who come out on their balconies and listen, and people walking their dogs and just going for jogs in the morning who stop and, and join into our service. And so we would love for you to be part of that as well if you're in this area or if you know other people who are. Even if you're in the surrounding communities, you know, if you're in Berthet or Mead or Frederick, Firestone, Decono area, down in Erie, Lafayette, if you're in uh, Lyons or Niwot, we would love for you to join us for that. So that'll be this Sunday at 10 a.m. at 700 Longspeak Avenue in downtown Longmont. And if you want more information, just go to our website. It's whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Or you can check us out on social media, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. We're on all of those. So do check us out. And um, the following Sunday after that, so this Sunday is the 19th, but then on the 26th of August, we have another cool opportunity for those of you up in this area to come and uh, be introduced to our church. Pastor Ed Taylor from Calvary Chapel in Aurora is going to be guest speaking at our church. And so he has a special message. He's uh, he sent us to given us kind of a shopping list of things that we need to buy. He, I guess he's going to send some things home with people who are coming to the service. So I'm excited about that and excited about what the Lord's going to do. So this Sunday's outdoor service. Next Sunday is um, Pastor Ed from Calvary Aurora. And if you're in the local area, we'd love to have you come out. Just check it out online, whitefieldschurch.com. We still have all open lines. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can um, text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Looks like we have a caller who didn't want to be on the air, but he had a question. He said, God has many names, Jehovah, Jesus. Everyone will bow down eventually. Why is God called by so many names in the Bible? Well, I don't actually think that God is called by a lot of names. Well, maybe he is. Okay, so let's talk about that, and then let's talk about uh, what those what those names mean. Okay, so let's say this. The word God in Hebrew is the word El, and the word El in Hebrew is kind of like, for us in English, the word God is kind of the general term 
right? So like if you have many gods, we still use that word God. It's kind of just the general term for God. Now, because we believe that there is only one God, then we say, well, all the other gods are false gods and there's one true God. So we take the general word for God and we apply it to God and we put a capital G on it to say there is one God. Okay, so then um, there was this instance in which God was asking, or sorry, Moses was asking God about his personal name. Like, in other words, God, uh, he said, you know, who shall I say sent me? Remember that when uh, there was this time when um, God called Moses to go to Pharaoh and, you know, Moses said he met God in the burning bush and he said, well, you know, I know that when I go there, they're going to ask me, well, what is the name of your God? Because, of course, the Egyptians believed in many gods. They're gonna, if, if he goes up to him and says, God sent me to you, they're going to say, well, which God? And he say, well, you know, Almighty God. And they'll say, well, which Almighty God? We believe in lots of gods. And so Moses said, I need to have a name that I can tell them uh, is your name. And so the name that God gave them was the name I Am. He said, tell them that I Am has sent you. Now, that's related to the name which is later revealed to Moses uh, again when he asks him, uh, who are you? And he says, show me your glory. This is in, later on in the book of Exodus, right, when he is going up on the mountain to receive the law from God. Uh, I believe chapter 32 or 34. I'm going to have to look it up real quick. But Moses goes up there and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'll show you my glory. And how does it's it's actually kind of surprising how God shows him his glory. You would think it would just be a bright and shining cloud of something, and it is, but there's more to it than that. God shows him not just his glory, but shows him his name. He reveals to him his name. In other words, God's name, which speaks of his character, that's very important. God's name speaks of his character, reveals God's glories. In other words, God's glory is his character. The way that God is is what is glorious about him, and that is reflected in his name. And so the name of God, there he says, I am a God, merciful and gracious, abounding in love, and he goes on to give other uh, descriptors. But there's that, that first part, I am. I am. So he says, the Lord, the Lord, and then he goes on. So the name, uh, where he says the Lord, again, you know, whenever you read in the Old Testament and it has the Lord all in capital letters, that is where the personal name of the Lord is used. Uh, it's Yahweh, sometimes pronounced Jehovah. If, if we're honest, I think we have to say that Jehovah is a mispronunciation of the name. It's actually probably pronounced something like Yahweh, which uh, the, the difficulty in it is that in Hebrew, they didn't write vowels. They would use apostrophes to mark where vowels would go. But if you spoke Hebrew, you didn't need those apostrophes. Furthermore, when they would write the name of God, when they wrote it, which they didn't always write it, they would leave out the apostrophes. They would leave out the vowels because they were worried about even writing the Lord's name in vain. They weren't exactly sure where that line is, you know, because they had this commandment from God, don't take my name in vain. They were worried that even if they wrote it, that might be taking the Lord's name in vain and using it in a way that um, lacked reverence. And so they were afraid of writing it. So all that to say, what does that name mean? Yahweh, um, or sometimes pronounced Jehovah. Uh, it means I am. It, it's, it comes from the same, it comes from the verb, which means to be in Hebrew. And what it means is that God is the one who is eternally present. That's basically what it means. 
God is the one who was, who is, who will always be. He is eternally present. He is the ultimate. There is no one who is before him, after him, above him. Uh, he is it. That's what that name means. Now, as far as Jesus, you know, Jesus is a common Jewish name. Um, Yeshua is how it was pronounced in uh, Hebrew. Jesus is a common Jewish name. It's kind of like the name Joshua. It's actually the same name in Hebrew. And it would be like, you know, just a, a common name. There would be many people named Jesus at that time. That's why it was important that he was Jesus of Nazareth. And um, see, the name Jesus, it means that Yahweh, so that, that root at the beginning, yeah, Jesus, um, Yahweh saves. It's a very important name. It says in Matthew chapter 21, one of my favorite verses in the Bible almost makes me, you know, kind of get goosebumps, feel emotional when it says, uh, the angel says to them, uh, Mary is going to have a child. This is the very, very first chapter of Matthew. The angel speaking to the family says, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is going to have a child and you shall name his name Jesus, Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, where we get that term Lord, on the other hand, um, comes from the fact that, again, the Jewish scribes and the Jewish people were very cautious in wanting to show reverence to God, and so they wouldn't use the name Yahweh. They wouldn't say it, which is also the, one of the reasons why we're not exactly sure on the pronunciation, because we're not sure where the vowels go, and we're not exactly sure on the pronunciation. We can be pretty sure it was pronounced Yahweh, but um, they wouldn't say it out loud, and they wouldn't write it with vowels, and eventually they stopped writing it altogether, and they replaced it with another word, which was Adonai, which means Lord, which is why we use the word Lord. But when they would write it, they would write it in a special way, so that it, it was very clear when you're reading the text that where that word is, that in a, originally that was the personal name of God, Yahweh. And it has now been they replaced it with the word Lord, but they made sure that they marked it so that you would know uh, just without confusion. Now, uh, a pretty cool thing happened. I, I went over to, on Tuesday, I, I took my mom over to see the Dead Sea Scrolls at the Denver Museum. It's there for just like two more weeks. And they have been switching out the scrolls. So we took our church there earlier this year. And when we were there, you could see this. That name of God, by the way, is called the Tetragrammaton. It's the, the spelling of um, Adonai or Yahweh in that special way that designates the particular name of God. And we were able to see it in, when we went in the spring, but then I went back just now and they had a Greek document. So, you know, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were also Greek uh, documents found. And so they had a Greek uh, New Testament document that was part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. But what was cool is that where it had the name of God, Adonai, which, which means Yahweh, right? Um, it was written in Hebrew, not in Greek. And so I thought that was really cool. You could see the Tetragrammaton. But I hope that that makes sense to you. That as far as other names of God, there are other names of God, you know, Je Jehovah or Yahweh, Rapha, right? And the God who heals, the God who provides. You have all these different names. And these are really descriptors of who God is, his character. Again, name describes character in the Bible. That's a very important thing, especially when it comes to God. So hope that answers your question, Lewis, and uh, God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have two open lines. The number to call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Jeff in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the program. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. What's up? Good. 
Well, uh, going through some troubling times, and I'm seeking new employment at a better paying job. I just want to make sure that what I'm doing is within God's will, and I just need prayers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love to pray for you. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we pray for Jeff, and we just ask that you would provide for him. Um, not only, Lord, would you provide for him, but we ask also that you give him clarity. Lord, I, I love to hear that, that he wants to walk in your will. He wants to do that which pleases you and wants to, to be totally right where you want him to be, just in sync with you, not ahead of you, not behind you, not off to the side doing his own thing. He wants to be right there in your will. So I pray that that would be the case. Lord, make your will clear to him as to uh, which direction to go in and where to go. And I do pray that you'd provide him with a good job where he can thrive and where he can serve you and use the gifts and talents that you've given him for your glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you very much. You bet. God bless you. Bye-bye. Yeah, you take care and God bless. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us, 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Let's go to Sophia in Thornton, Colorado. Hi, Sophia. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, um you uh, answer me because uh, I uh, keep this a uh, very long time. like to ask you about my time. It's not much of your time. I always, uh, very night I sleep on the day. So now my day after I call you, I, I'd like to know for sure that under John chapter 6, I think the, um, let's see, uh, chapter 6, um, birth. Number two or something, number three, I forgot. Okay. What's and it say? say uh, Jesus said he wanted to tell the truth that um, we are the human, don't look for the food uh, that it can be spoiled. You have to look for the food that can be uh, uh, can, can be a real light. Okay, um, yeah. So here's a, here. Let me uh, help you out here. The section you're looking at, I think you're looking down to chapter six, verse twenty-two, and Jesus is talking about how He is the bread of life. There, there's a few things that are important to say about this. Um, one of them is that Jesus is making a reference, so He's talking about something from the Old Testament. Maybe you remember the story of Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness and how God caused the manna or that bread from heaven to fall from the sky and it would be... You're right. I understand you're talking now. Yeah, and so that that's a big part of it. So when Jesus says uh, in verse 35 there, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So he's already talked about that in chapter 4, the, how he's the water of life, and whoever drinks of him will never thirst. But then he says, I'm the bread of life, and he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. So he is saying that he is the spiritual manna, mm -hmm. that he is God's provision for our spiritual hunger and for our mm -hmm. spiritual sustenance and needs every day and that we need to take him in. And the people, it says, if you look at chapter 6, verse 41, it says the Jews grumbled 
about two things. Number one, they didn't like that he was comparing himself to the manna. Number two, they didn't like that he said that he was from heaven because they said, how can he say that he's from heaven? And, um, and then Jesus goes on to say, you know, uh, later on, he says, hey, I, when Abraham, uh, before Abraham was, I am, which is an incredible statement, really. He's, he's saying that truly he is eternal, he's older than Abraham, and that he is from heaven. But what's really interesting is it says in chapter uh, 6, verse 52, that the, the Jews were angry and disputing and arguing and saying, is this man telling us that we need to eat his flesh? Right, because he says that you you have to um, you have to eat me just like you uh, ate the bread in heaven. So he says two things. He says I am the living bread, and if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, he's saying you have to eat my flesh. In fact, he says that again later on, and it says that because he said that, many people were like offended by it. They were like, uh, what is he talking about? Is he talking about cannibalism? They're weirded out. They didn't know what to make of it. Now, is he saying that they needed to eat his actual flesh? Um, no. What he's saying is that he is going to die and be the sustenance for them. Now, clearly, he's making an allusion to what will come later when he establishes the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper, where we take his body and we drink his blood in remembrance of his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Um, but I think there's a way in which Jesus said this in John chapter 6 to kind of uh, weed out the crowd because there were a lot of people following him um, and he wanted to see who was really committed. And so he kind of tested them. And we see that uh, down in at the end of chapter 6, verse 66, it says, Many of the disciples turned back and no longer wanted to follow him. And Jesus said to his 12 disciples, Do you want to go away as well? And I love this line, uh, chapter 6, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And I, I think that's the key. So, you know, another uh, picture of eating that we have in the Bible is that uh, it's a picture of taking in God's word. So we see that in Ezekiel, for example. He takes in the word of God and he says, I took your word and I ate it and it was bitter in my mouth, but also sweet like honey. And so Jesus is the word of God who is the embodied word of God, right? We know that John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, so um, Pastor, I am... Um I understand that John first chapter first and the first first, but this one I read back and forth, and then uh, look like a little confused me that Jesus said uh, the on the um, verse twenty six Jesus said I tell you true, I'm the I'm the uh, bread and um, who eat my who eat uh, I'm the uh, I'm the food the bread. And uh, mm -hmm. who who eat my who eat my um, bread on uh, my meat and then drink my blood then that one gonna be fresh uh, like a so I uh, real life and then I wanna know for sure that uh, like uh, Jesus talk about his body 
his body is like the word of God, right? So the blood is like uh, the Holy Spirit. Yahoo yeah, coming so I, to receive the Holy Spirit. That means the fresh. Uh, I would say I would say two things. Number one, uh, number one, it means, yes, taking in the word, but taking in Jesus is saying he is the word embodied. So it means taking him in to make this very simple. I would say this. He means believing in him by faith, receiving by faith the sustenance from heaven, which God has given us, which is Jesus. And we receive him and we take it in by faith. And we do that in communion is like a tangible outward way of saying your body broken for me. I receive it. I take it. And your blood shed for me. I receive it. And I take it and I receive this salvation that you worked for me. So I, I hope that brings some clarity. Thank you for calling. Uh, God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, the number to call 303-690-3000. That's 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Let's go to Dom in Brighton, Colorado. Hi, Dom. Welcome to the program. How you doing? Doing great. Um, just a simple, quick question: How did Sunday come to be the day of worship? Um, and what I'm kind of leaning towards is the like the Seventh Day Adventists. They picked. Uh, saturday and how did the how did the rest of the nation come up with sunday yeah it isn't the rest of the nation it's the rest of uh, christians since the time of the apostles and this is actually one of my favorite topics to talk about i can see that we're going to go to a break in three minutes so let's discuss this and if we don't get it done then either i'll have you hang on through the break or i'll just continue after the break but uh thanks for the question because i love talking about it Okay, so let's start with uh, Seventh-day Adventists and why they, why they uh, believe that the Sabbath is Saturday. Now, I don't actually disagree with them in the sense that uh, in the Jewish system, Sabbath was the last day of the week. It was the seventh day. Okay, so that was the day that God set up for them to observe and to worship him. Uh, and to spend time having a break. Now, just think about it. They didn't receive that law. I mean, that law was a copy of God's practice in creation, right? God created for six days. Then he stopped on the seventh day and rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was out of ideas. He rested on purpose because he was establishing a principle. Okay, so then the next thing we know is that uh, the Sabbath existed uh, for that time. Uh, and and then it was given to the people of Israel. So God did set the, up that principle in creation, but the law wasn't actually given to the people until they came out of slavery in Egypt during the time of Moses, right? During the Exodus. So they come out of slavery in Egypt. They've been slaves for a couple hundred years. You know, they've been in Egypt for 400 years, but the last part of that, they're slaves. And then God gives them a law. And part of the law is, okay, law number three, take a day off every week. Now, you're telling people who have not had a day off in their lives, who are coming out of forced labor, that God's rule for them is to take a break. That was not a burden. That was a blessing. They were like, what? You know, that'd be like, that'd be like if I told you, Dom, I'm going to give you three rules. Rule number one is I want you to eat ice cream every day. 
Like you would be like, oh, sweet. I love that rule. That's my favorite rule, right? But they turned that blessing into a burden. We know that, that that became a burden. And Jesus had to correct them during their time and say, you know, because he, they were like, hey, you can't heal people on the Sabbath because that might be qualified as doing work. And Jesus was like, are you kidding me? You know, uh, the Sabbath is not, man is not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is created for man. In other words, we're not created as slaves to the Sabbath. We're, the Sabbath was created to be a blessing for us. But here's the big thing that I want to talk to you about. And I'm, I'm going to, so I'm leading up to how we got to Sunday, but I'm going to have to go to break in 40 seconds. Okay. So let me, okay. let me give you the next part and then I'll have you hold through the break and we'll continue this conversation. Actually, I'm going to have you hold right now. Uh, You've been listening to Calvary Live. We are going to a break, and we're going to continue this question talking about how Christians came to worship on Sunday. Very great discussion, and we'll be back in two minutes' time. Stick with us, or you can call us, 303-690-3000. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. Before we go back to our uh, caller we were talking to before, uh, let me just take the opportunity to give you the numbers here to call and to text. Uh, The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. And also, while I have you here, I'm going to take the opportunity to invite you. If you are in the Longmont, Colorado area, then I want to invite you out to the church that I'm the pastor of. And this coming Sunday, we are going to be doing our outdoor service. We do it once every year, and we're studying a fabulous text. just lined up perfectly. We're going to be studying Romans chapter 8, kind of just the summit peak of the New Testament in so many ways, right? And uh, it's just so uh, such a wonderful text. You know, this great verse that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done... What the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemning sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not by us, but in us. So good. And so uh, we're going to be studying that text this coming Sunday, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be doing church in the park. We just checked the weather, and, uh, you know, in Longmont, we get this cool Long's Peak effect, so we don't get uh, some of the rain that some of the other metro area gets. And so we uh, are looking at the forecast. looks like 70 degrees at 10 a.m. and no chance of rain, so we're really looking forward to our outdoor service this coming Sunday. If you are in the area or if you know someone who's in the area and you'd like to uh, bring them to our service, that's a great way to introduce somebody to church is just come up and say, hey, I know this church in your area. Uh, they're doing this event, and I'd love to take you out there. And so uh, we'd love to have you join us. So that's going to be 10 a.m. this coming Sunday. And for more information, directions, check it out. Uh, check out our website at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Or check out all our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the good stuff. 
And uh, so that's this Sunday. We're doing the outdoor service. The following Sunday, we're going to have Pastor Ed from Calvary Aurora visiting and just uh, a couple great weekends in which uh, we'd love to have you come visit and introduce other people to our fellowship as well. So that's whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go back to our caller we were talking to right before the break. His name is Dom in Brighton. Hey, Dom, are you with me? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, thanks for holding on. So here's where we were at. The question you asked was about how we, how Christians came to worship on Sunday. And so I was giving you kind of the background of the Jewish Sabbath, uh, that it was meant to be a blessing. It was, you know, God's rule for them, but it was a rule that was intended to be a blessing. And it was also a rule that taught them to prioritize worship God, worshiping God. Okay, so then, uh, so how do we get to Sunday? Well, um, here's how. When Jesus uh, died, you know, he died, and then he was resurrected. He resurrected on a Sunday. So that's why we get the name, uh, we call it Resurrection Day. It, you know, if you speak other languages, I think that's interesting. I've had people tell me, well, you know, Sunday is the day which is for the veneration of the sun. My point is, hey, well, if you're following that same logic, then Saturday is the veneration of Saturn, actually. And uh, if you <laughs> speak other languages, my favorite is in Russian, the word for Sunday literally means resurrection. Voskresenye, it literally means resurrection. So it just depends what language you're speaking, but uh, it doesn't really matter in the end. What matters is Jesus resurrected on a Sunday. And what we know from the early Christianity is that Christians began meeting on Sundays. And here's what I love about how they did that. You know, Sunday was not a day off, right? Like imagine if for, us, for them, Sunday was kind of like for us, Monday. And so, you know, it's a work day. And so for the first 300 and at least 20 years of Christianity, Sunday was a work day. And Christians worshipped on Sunday. And here's what happened. They would meet at sunrise. So, you know, whatever time of year it is, you meet at sunrise. And they would meet to um, take communion on Sunday and then uh, sing a little bit. They would sing some songs or they would repeat a creed, you know, read it together. And then they would go to work. And then after work, they would gather again for preaching and, uh, and for studying the scriptures and the teaching of the apostles. So like the New Testament letters and the gospels, and they would read them together. They would study them. They would have a sermon. And then oftentimes they would follow that by having a meal together, an agape feast, or, was, you know, for many of them, it was like dinner. And, and so uh, I love that, that fact. So it came to be this thing where they began worshiping on Sundays. So many of those who were from a Jewish background would still observe the Jewish Sabbath, but then they began to um, worship Jesus and celebrate Jesus' resurrection on Sunday. And so what happened is um, that, uh, well, here's one other factor I want to bring to your attention. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus. And, and Hebrews, you know, so much of what the book of Hebrews is all about is about how all of these Old Testament pictures point to Jesus, that they were intended to be fulfilled by Jesus and they are fulfilled in Jesus. And in chapter four, it talks specifically about the Sabbath. And it talks about how the Sabbath rest that was present in creation and then was given as an Old Testament command, even in the Ten Commandments, was meant to point us to the ultimate rest for our souls, which is found in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And so what that means is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And what that means is, you know, you can look at Colossians and he says, let no one judge you according to Sabbaths. 
or new moons or other festivals. And he includes in their Sabbaths because at that time it seems that this was an issue too, that uh, you know, newer believers who were maybe not from a Jewish background were not observing the Jewish Sabbath, but they were worshiping Jesus on Sundays in remembrance of his resurrection following this pattern where, you know, uh, where they would meet at sunrise for communion and for uh, you know singing and these things, and then they would meet again after work in the evenings for um, for Bible study, and and so people are judging them. It seems you know some of the Jewish Christians and and Paul says there in Colossians, don't let anybody judge you according to Sabbaths and things like that. Why? Because he says there in Colossians, these things are shadows of the substance, but the substance is found in Jesus, which means the substance of the Sabbath observance is Jesus Christ. Now, there's also one more aspect to this um, Sunday worship that was really important. And that is that, you know, the numbers in the Jewish in the Jewish thinking were important. So you have the six days on which God created. The seventh day was the day of rest. And so for the Christians, they were not worshiping on the first day. They 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 have early Christian writings that say that we as Christians, we celebrate the eighth day. And the eighth day is the day of a new beginning. In other words, a new creation. And I think this is so cool, you know, that rather than just celebrating God's rest from his work, we are celebrating the new creation, the new thing that God is doing um, in Jesus, the new covenant that we have in him by celebrating on Sunday. So here's here's my take on it. There needs to be a principle, right, because we see this in creation. We need to take the principle. It's important. Take a day off in which you focus not just on recreation or hanging out, or watching TV and not getting dressed, right? Like you need to take a day in which you focus on worship, worship, and um, and and also not not working, right? So there needs to be a day of 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 uh, not working, and and you know that's an act of faith, right? Because for some of us, especially those who are self-employed, right, not working um, is an act of faith because to not work means maybe less income, but to prioritize worship. Is important and think about this that in agrarian society like ancient Israel to not work one day a week meant lower production you know theoretically it might you know you yeah. could argue that in the end it meant higher production by taking a day off but let's just say you know it's like being self-employed or being a farmer to take a day off takes some faith to say I'm actually gonna set down my plow even though I've got more work to do and I'm going to take a day to worship God that spoke of priorities and it spoke of faith so I really think based on Colossians, based on Hebrews, it doesn't matter which day of the week it is per se. Um, but I do think that Sunday worship is significant because uh, Sunday worship is, we have the whole history of Christianity worshiping Jesus, Jesus on Sunday because of his resurrection. And, um, and it's also the day when most of the church is gathering. But, you know, some people have to work on Sundays. And, uh, you know, for me, exam for example, Sunday is a work day. Now I don't, necessarily consider serving god work i, I consider <laughs> it uh, joy and a blessing but it is and service but you know there's a work aspect to it and um and so i make sure that i take a day off in the middle of the week usually where i go somewhere with my wife and we spend time together and, and you know we incorporate spiritual practices into that as well okay cool hey god bless you thanks for the question yeah thank you i didn't think it was that involved but that's kind of cool all righty all right god bless you take care Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Ryan in 
uh, Denver, Colorado. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Well, first off, I want to say thanks for your website, how thorough it is with the postings. I read the Martin Luther King article on the Birmingham jail, the actual letter that he wrote. Found that very well written and interesting and the other items that are on there. Yeah, thanks. You're, you're speaking of my blog, I take it. Yeah, I went to nickkady.org, I think it is, and yes, on, right. uh, on your church website, and you can kind of navigate around from there. But uh, Cool, I'm glad it was a so, blessing. Yeah, so I got this book coming in the mail, the, the World's Greatest Book. It's called The World's Greatest Book, The Story of How the Bible Came to Be. Yeah. And that was September 19, 2017, when it was written. Have you heard about it, or...? Uh, no, I haven't heard of it, but it sounds like okay. a good book. Well, I mean, I hope it's a good book. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I haven't gotten it yet, but I just wanted to know your approach to the origins of the Bible, when it was canonized, uh, the dates of the New and Old Testament. Kind of, I never really hear who actually um, yeah. put up for the books to be written and published, and there, or if you want to call it that back then, but uh, without the printing press. But sure. Just how how all of that came to be. Um, Man, you guys are giving me some uh, very in-depth topics. So I, uh, you know, I was telling the producer right before we went on the air that I'm currently in seminary. I'm on break right now, which is kind of nice to have this break. But uh, I'm in seminary right now, getting my master's. And in my last semester, I had this long class about this topic. So I'm going to try and boil down kind of some highlights for you, just because we have limited yeah. amount of time. But uh, here, here's kind of the long and short of it. And actually, real quick, I'm going to take your answer off the air, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's so I fine. can drive. You bet. All right. God bless you, Ryan. So to answer Ryan's question, how do we get the Old Testament? How do we get the New Testament? How did the canon come about? You know, there are a lot of misconceptions about this. There are this misconception that it was like, you know, some guys in a dark, smoky room, uh, you know, very nefarious, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to create the Bible and we're going to, you know, get rid of these writings because they don't agree with us and will, you know, kind of more like a Dan Brown novel than what actually happened. And so if you're getting your history, by the way, from Dan Brown novels or from, uh, you know, like, uh, what was that one a few years ago? The, the one, um, oh, I don't even remember anymore. But uh, yeah, you know, Dan Brown novels about how there's this big conspiracy about how we got the Bible and it's all about control and all that thing. It's, it's really not true. If you, the more you look into how we got the Bible, the more it actually builds your faith in the Bible. So, as I said, I, I've studied quite a bit on this topic, but I'll just try and make it really brief. Here, here's the the long and short of it: the Old Testament, as these books were being written, especially you know, you consider the books of Moses; these were given to him; he understood by revelation of God. And so, as he's writing them, immediately as they're being written, they're considered scripture, meaning they're considered holy writings. And canon, the word canon, it means rule. Basically, it means the, the line, right? Like, so this is the measuring rod by which we measure all other things. And so it, it, as time went on, different books were considered canonical. And they were considered canonical for different reasons. Uh, you know, prophetic books clearly were considered to be prophecies and given by God. And so how do we get the books that we have? Well, it seems that there was this growing library by the word, by the way, the word Bible or Biblia literally just means library or collection of books. And so this began to grow amongst the Jews and they recognized these as inspired by God. And there were other writings which they had, which they did not consider 
to be inspired by God. And so one of the questions that's often asked is what about the, what we call apocrypha, right? Like some uh, denominations have extra books in their Old Testaments. And uh, the reason why we don't recognize those books, or I'll speak for myself, I don't, and, and I know that most Protestants don't, is because the Jewish people never recognized those as canonical or biblical books. They were considered extra writings, which were interesting and maybe had some wisdom, but they weren't considered inspired by God for the purpose of being a rule or scripture. Okay, so over time you had this canon of the prophets, the law, and the wisdom literature. That's basically what the Old Testament is made of. The law, some historical books, but again, they're not just history for history's sake. They're history for the sake of teaching certain things about God and about God's will. Then you had prophetic books and uh, wisdom books I might have already mentioned. So you had all of those, and, um, and the Jewish people before the time of Jesus already recognized these as being a closed canon, meaning you couldn't add to it, you couldn't take away from it. This was the Bible. And um, and then with the New Testament canon, the way that that formed, some people are like, hey, it didn't form until the 300s at Nicaea when people, you know, met on it and voted on it. Well, that's not exactly true. I mean, that yeah, that is when it was kind of what we say codified, meaning it was set in stone, like this is what the church recognizes as our canon of scripture. But prior to that, there was already a consensus amongst Christians as to which books were canonical and which were not, with a very few exceptions. So there were some disputed books. Uh, James, for example, was disputed a little bit. Um, Hebrews was barely disputed uh, James was maybe the most disputed book uh, of the old test or sorry of the new testament writings but see there were a few criteria for which uh, they had for how do we know that certain books are inspired by god uh, one was that they needed to be um, apostolic in origin meaning that they needed to come from the apostles so for example mark was not an apostle but mark is writing the apostle peter's story and so, um, you know, and so with Luke, Luke is a, a kind of conglomerating, right? He's taking all the different stories that he's, uh, that were existing and in circulation at that time uh, and bringing them together. Because what you have to understand is that there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of very good, um, you know, accounts. Like you can imagine if somebody like of Jesus' stature was walking around and doing things, teaching and doing miracles, people were writing it down. Now, a lot of people weren't uh, literate at the time, but those who were, were, were writing it down. They wanted to make sure that this was recorded. And so what Luke did is he took all of these different strands and he put them together into one account. And he makes that very clear at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. He said, that's what I've done. I've taken all these together so that you may have confidence, he says, in what you have heard and what you believe. He, as a historian, researched these things, looked into them, and put together one authoritative account, which is in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, so uh, we had all these books. And what we know is that these books were in uh, distribution amongst the early Christians already at the time, like uh, pretty much as soon as they were written. And they were written to be distributed. And so they were being, copies were being made, they were being distributed throughout the Middle Eastern world, and they were being given around. And even Paul the Apostle, he says in one of his letters, he says, I want this, I want you to take this, and I want it to be read in all the churches. I believe it's his letter to the Colossians. He says, I want it to be read in all the churches in your region. In other words, make copies and distribute it. And, and furthermore, we read like Peter 
in his letter, he mentions the writings of Paul, and Paul actually quotes in one place from the Gospel of Luke, and um, and there are other areas where, so by the time we get to like Paul in Second Timothy, where he says all scriptures God breathed and profitable, uh, you know, for all these things, he's not just talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the things that were considered scripture that were New Testament writings already in distribution at the time. By the time he wrote Second Timothy, almost all of the books of the New Testament were written, with the exception of obviously the one he was writing, Revelation, and maybe one or two of the latter letters. And so um, I hope that kind of answers your question. So what happened is that there were some disputes. There were some churches, you know, there wasn't a lot of good communication amongst the churches in those days because of distance and the difficulty in communicating. And so what Nicaea was about was that Constantine, as he became emperor, he was a Christian, supposedly at least, and he said, wow, it looks like, you know, there's some differences between the church in this area, has like an extra book, like there was this book called The Shepherd of Hermes that nobody was really sure about, and there was, you know, other churches who didn't recognize that book, and so what he did with Nicaea is he said, let's just get all of the bishops from all over the world, we'll invite everybody, and then we'll all get on the same page, and we'll, we'll hash it out as family. Do these books belong in the Bible? Do these books belong in the Bible? And we'll come to consensus and we'll ask God to lead us. And so this was a long process. It wasn't just like a one or two day thing. It was a long process. There was a lot of, uh, you know, discussion and disputation and all of these things. And finally, they came to the conclusion based on certain criteria. And so I think that we can be very confident in the process by which we got our New Testament canon and the Old Testament canon. And when you read the Bible, I just want you to know this. You can be very sure uh, that what you have in the Bible is um, is indeed the Word of God. Uh, and again, you know, uh, that caller, he mentioned some things that uh, I've written on my blog, and I've written on my blog a lot about this topic as well. So if you're interested, go check it out. It's at nickkady.org. So... This is Calvary Live. We have all open lines right now, and the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. It looks like we had another call who uh, asked not to be on the air, but um, this person was asking, are tattoos a sin? Are tattoos a sin? So, um, I guess I'll give you the quick answer, then I will give you a longer answer. Um, so I do not believe that tattoos as they are currently practiced are sin. And the reason is um, because tattoos, as is mentioned in the Old Testament, that tattoos were not to be, you know, you're not to um, mark your body with these tattoos. That was, see, yeah, here's, here it is. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. It says, do not cut your bodies for the dead. Or put tattoo marks on yourself because I am the Lord. And so the reason for that prohibition of tattoos is, uh, is not stated right there. Um, but it is most likely because that kind of tattooing that was talked about was a pagan practice which was connected with idolatry and superstition. And so they were, it was common for pagans to you know, mark their skin uh, by cutting it or by tattooing it with the name of a false god. It had something to do with their pagan worship. And if that is not what you're doing, then I think you're okay. Now, um, you know, there it does come into this whole discussion of, you know, don't let your, um, you know, don't 
let your beauty be found in your outward aton- or adornment, but let your beauty be found in the beauty of the inner self. Peter talks about that in First Peter chapter 3. You know, do not let your adorning be external, um, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So I would just say that, you know, as long as, as, long as you understand that it is not the outward that matters, but what is inside that is very important, particularly to God, that is important balance to have there. So you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to our text line. We had a couple good text questions come in. We had a question yesterday from someone named Brian Anders in Greeley, Colorado. And Brian uh, was asking about this. He said, you know, that in Acts chapter 2, it's mentioned that people get the Holy Spirit as a gift after being baptized in the name of Jesus. Um, But he says, don't don't you get the Holy Spirit when you first believe? Um, For example, again, in Acts 8, verse 15, they believed and were baptized in the name of Jesus, and they had not received the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's referring to people who who believed, they were baptized, and yet they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So he's asking, what am I missing here? Please uh, help me understand. So a few things. Um, what Peter's saying, first of all, in Acts chapter 2, he is saying, believe and be baptized. And that's really important for us to understand this, that um, he's saying that baptism and believing naturally go together, right? So there's no such thing in the, in, it would be unfathomable for early Christians to have thought of a person believing and not being baptized. Like it just, they would be like, what? Like it doesn't even make sense. Like how can you believe and not be baptized? Now we, you know, in our modern age, we tend to be so individualistic that we think like, well, I'll be baptized if I want to be baptized, right? Like can I believe and not be baptized? But see, for early Christians, the two just went together. If you believe, of course you'll be baptized because that's what Jesus said to do. And if he's your Lord, then of course you do what your Lord says, right? And so um, that's kind of the point here. Peter, I don't believe that he's giving a distinct chronology saying like first this happens and then this happens. And and there's a few reasons I believe that. The key text on this is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, which talks about how when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit as a seal and you receive it when you believe, right? So it's not when you get baptized. So I would say this, being baptized is not a prerequisite for receiving the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God. In other words, if you do belong to God, you do have the Holy Spirit. And so we receive the Holy Spirit when we believe the gospel by faith. And then, of course, you know, again, though, belief without baptism, like saying, I believe, but I haven't been baptized or I don't want to be baptized, would have been completely unknown and foreign to New Testament Christianity. As for Acts chapter 8, verse 15, uh, where he talks about how somebody believed and were ba- was baptized but had not yet received the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that's speaking of receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but rather an outward manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is throughout the book of Acts, you see this chronology, so to say, of baptism and then reception of an outward manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's not uniform, right? It happens in different orders with different people. So sometimes a person receives the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and then they're baptized afterwards. Sometimes they're baptized and then they receive the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So um, I think that's just uh, put it, it. It's written there for us so that we understand that it's not something we can put in a box. 
Hey, we've got two minutes, 45 seconds left. Let's go to one last caller, Maxie in Pennsylvania. Hi, Maxie. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hey. Hey, we've got two and a half minutes left, so I'm going to have to hurry on this one, but let me know what, what's your question. Okay. Um, my question is, um, uh, when Jesus returns, uh, it is said in the book of Revelation that uh, there is righteousness all throughout the world. Um, when Satan is locked up, but after he is released, uh, there are those who will follow him again. Mm -hmm. Does that uh, confirm that G uh, not Jesus, uh, the devil, Satan, is the only evil influence? Um, it is the reason why people misbehave or do bad things. We, yeah, the, so the Bible would say that there are, are a couple reasons why we misbehave or do bad things, right? And so one of them is there is sin, so let's start with Satan. So Satan is one reason. There's another reason is because of the world system that we live in, which is governed by the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. Okay, so there's that. We live in a corrupt culture also. You know, that's that's part of it. And then the last part is that sin is not only something which is outside of us. It's also something that is inside of us ever since the fall. And so what it's describing there is a, a time you know, some people think it's a thousand years because it says there that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And so Satan was bound for a thousand years. Um, some people call that the, the kingdom here on earth. And so it's during that time when Satan is bound and it seems that evil is bound. And so with Satan bound, the tempter of us, right, the one who's causing us to do things, it seems that culture kind of cleans up, which is what we would expect. And but the problem is that that sin still exists within us, which is why at the end of that period, it says that Satan is released again to tempt people once again. In other words, the sin it within us doesn't go away. And so for that to happen, we need Jesus to come and, and make us new, which will ultimately happen at the end of all things. So thank you for the call and God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll be back again with you on Monday. Uh, God bless you and have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.